I want to invite you uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Um, to the book of Revelation. I'm going to straighten this table because that will kind of bother me. It's not exact, and it probably isn't still. But if you guys can turn with me to the book of Revelation, um, I will be getting over the alignment of that table. So. Um, tonight is our final night in this sermon series that we have pursued over the course of this fall um, and into the end of the year. We have taken a look at the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3, just to gain hold of some of the most deeply foundational parts of the Bible. And then we've made our way here to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, as we gain a picture of the end of all things, the way in which things are headed, and also it's important to remember that if we just had a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will, between heaven and earth, the way that things actually are. It's been a joy to walk through this with you. And tonight we will continue, and as has been our custom, I'm gonna pair a reading from the Old Testament with this reading from the book of Revelation. So I want to invite you to just listen carefully and closely to the prophet Ezekiel. He writes as follows. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from behold or below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Goes on to say, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. The fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And then from the book of Revelation, I'll begin in chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And specifically for tonight, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit, illuminate these mysterious words in your word. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you illuminate the words that I prepared And would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls to give us fresh hope and joy. Lord, in our Lord Jesus, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night, at about 8 o'clock p.m. last night, um, I was sitting in the living room with my four-year-old daughter, Millie, and she had out this puzzle that she has. And it's like an alphabet puzzle. So it's like A, B, C, D, and so forth and so on to Z. <laughs> and underneath each letter, so if you like pull up the A, underneath it is an, like an apple. Underneath the B, a banana. Underneath the C, a cat. Underneath the D, a dog. Underneath the E, an egg. And so on and so forth. I think under the F is a fish. And what she likes to do is she likes for me to tell her a letter to pull up. So I'll say, okay, grab the B. And she'll say, easy. And she'll get the B. (laughs) Well, as this game is going on, I'm not going to necessarily go in order. I'm going to change it up a little bit. And I said, U. And she pulls up the U. And I say, J. And she pulls up the J. And then I thought, that's it. See, because I was trying to think of a way to illustrate and to do an introduction to this sermon. And when I saw that U and I saw that J, I knew I had it. Okay? So let me explain. I think it's helpful when you're thinking of individual books of the Bible to think of them visually. So for example, one small example. If you wanted to make a visual of the book of Philippians, this hymn about Jesus laying himself down, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross would be like the center of the book. And then all these ideas come like spokes off a wheel. That's kind of what Philippians looks like. It's also helpful to think of the entire story of the scriptures visually. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you wanted to visualize the stories, the story of the scriptures, it would be in the shape of a J, not a U. 
And here's what I mean. It's easy for us to think of the story of the scriptures in the shape of a you, okay? God creates the world and everything in it. He creates it good. He creates people uniquely able to live for his glory. And of course, sin enters the world and things become tragically and utterly despairingly wrong. And of course, God begins to make promises and he begins to redeem and restore and bring things back to where they were. Do you see the U-shape? It's important to me that you see the <laughs> U-shape. But what I'm here to tell you tonight is that the story of the scriptures is actually a J-shape. God creates the world and everything in it. He creates people uniquely capable of bearing his image and glorifying him. Sin enters the world and things go tragically wrong and he begins to make promises to redeem and to restore so much so that he brings things to even a higher, more beautiful harmony, shalom, glory than they ever were before. Do you see the J shape? That's what this text is about. In these few verses, all the ideas of the Bible really come to their head, but they come to a head in this beautiful way where we see that things are even better and more glorious than they even were back then. I mean, it's like God, okay? It's like our God, our Lord. It's like he just can't help himself but to make things exceed our expectations. So here is how I want to approach this tonight. These verses that I read beginning in verse one of chapter 22 um, have for us three images that I wanna explain to you. We get this image of the river. Did you hear me read of it? This river that flows forth from the sanctuary, from the temple, from God's throne. We get this image of a tree now, if you remember, the tree was very much at the center of the Genesis story. We hear of another kind of tree or a tree, and I'm going to explain that to you. And then thirdly, there's this image of a face, the face of a person named Jesus. So I want to talk to you about the river. I want to talk to you about the tree I want to talk to you about this face. And as we go, as I explain what this vision is telling us when it tells us about a river and a tree and tells us about this face, as we go, I want to take the truths of that picture and I want to just apply them to your heart like a medicine as we go. So let's take a look. What about this river? Verse one of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne room or the throne of God and the lamb. Now it's interesting that so many of the great cities of the world are built around rivers. It's just that this river's altogether different. This river that flows through this city is altogether different. It's a different kind of river. It's a different kind of city. See, oftentimes the rivers that flow through the cities that we're familiar with bring death. 
I mean, have you seen the things floating in the Cahaba on a Thursday afternoon, especially after hard rain? This is exactly opposite of that. The things that float in this river, this crystal clear, crystal clear river, it's a spring of endless life. See, in the scriptures, at least one of the major ways that water is discussed in the scriptures. Water is a symbol of life, sustenance, satisfaction, the quenching power to get rid of a thirst. In some ways, the Bible is a big, long story asking the question, where are you and I going to drink? Will we drink from the fountain of life, who is the Lord? Or will we carve for ourselves these broken cisterns that can't hold water, that just hold muddy, dirty water and drink from those things which will never, ever, ever, ever satisfy us? Where are you going to drink? If you remember in the Genesis story, we read of waters, and it's the waters of chaos in Genesis 1, verse 2. But the waters of chaos have been changed and redeemed, so much so that they're not just any kind of water. They're water, crystal clear, spring water of life flowing from God himself. In other words, this image is supposed to have us imagine Complete, endless satisfaction. Complete, endless, life-giving satisfaction of every single one of our deepest desires. I want to apply this to your heart. I know some of you And some of you have said things to me like, Joel, I feel so drained. Or you've said things to me like, Joel, I feel like the life is just being sucked out of me. And what I want you to imagine is a situation in which that never happened to you again. But instead, you were always ready, fulfilled, fulfilled. This river of life, this river of the waters of life, crystal clear, has to do with the life-giving presence of God meeting every single one of your deepest desires, satisfying them forever. This water of life image makes us ask a question. And here's the question. Is there anything that you desire that you won't find in Jesus? Is there any deep longing you have in your heart that you won't find in him? I'm going to answer that question for you later. Now let's look at this tree. 
Look with me in verse 2. Through the, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this city that we're told about, this new Jerusalem, it's got this, it's built around this river of the waters of life that come from God himself. In this city, this new Jerusalem is also a garden city. Okay, just for the record, Chicago is called the garden city. Now I got nothing against Chicago. I think Chicago's lovely, just not at this time of year, okay? But we're talking something even greater and grander than one of the great cities of the world with its central park or whatever. Because we're told here that there is a tree. There's a certain kind of tree. It's a tree of life. If you remember, there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It was there. When Adam and Eve sin in the garden, they are banned access from the tree of life. But here in this case, access to the tree of life is restored again. And we're told there are multiple trees of life. There's not just one, but on either side of the river, they line the river. So it's not just one tree, but it's a lot of trees. It's a species of tree that exists in this city. It'd be like me saying in Birmingham, there is a pine tree. It's a species of tree that's everywhere. In this city, there is a species of tree called the tree of life, and it is everywhere. It lines the river. In particular, we're told that it has 12 kinds of fruit. In other words, ample supply of fruit. 12 in the scriptures is a number of completion. And it yields fruit each month. Again, we get a picture of ample provision. Okay, it never runs out. It's always got more. It's always in season. It's always fruitful. It's always ready to be harvested. It's, it's always there. See, in the scriptures, trees are a lot of things, but at least one thing that they are are a sign of God's ample provision. In this city, I want you to imagine every need that you have being met always, literally growing on trees. I said to one of my children recently, well, you know that doesn't grow on trees. Well, in this case, it really does. Ample provision is everywhere, abundantly, monthly, always there. Imagine that with me. Imagine every need that you have being met always. Isn't it interesting that we also learn that this tree is medicinal? Did you hear in verse two, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's like these leaves can be stewed down, made into a tea, if you will, when, when drunk, if you will, can heal the deepest wounds of your heart. You see, it's one promise, isn't it, 
that Jesus has come to make all things new. It's another promise entirely that not only will he make all things new, but part of him making all things new is to heal every hurt in your heart. I want you to imagine with me for a second every wound being healed. All of them. Entirely. The things you have done, the things that have been done to you, healed. This picture of this tree of life it has this medicinal quality, this ample provision from God. It makes us ask two questions. Is there anything that you need that you won't find in him? Secondly, is there any wound in your heart that he cannot heal? I'm going to answer those for you later. And then finally, sort of the ultimate part of this vision is we learn that there is a face. Would you look with me again? Verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. In other words, all the threats as we've said so far will have been removed. Judgment will have come upon those who arrogantly resist God or wound his people, judgment would have come upon them. They've been removed. This devil who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, this power of evil, all of it will be gone. And then finally, ultimately, the grand sort of finale of the Bible story, verse four, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Around Grace Fellowship, I bring up this idea of we will see his face almost every Sunday. Have you ever noticed that? And the reason I do that is because it's so unbelievably important. It matters so much. This poet I like named Scott Carnes, he says that this face that we will see on that day will be the face that we've looked for in all the best and worst times of our life. See, in the scriptures, someone's face is a picture of knowing them fully. Knowing a person as they are. So for example, the apostle John in 1 John says that one day we will be changed and we will actually see Jesus as he is. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that for now we see through a mirror kind of dimly, but one day we'll see face to face. In other words, the center of all joy for all time forever will be the fact that you and I will know God fully. And notice the J shape here, how we've gone from hiding in the trees, afraid of God's presence, to total face-to-face, unmediated knowledge of knowing him. 
Sometimes some of you in this room will say things to me like, Joel, sometimes God just feels distant from me. Sometimes some of you say things to me like, I don't know, he just sort of feels hidden. And what I say back to you is, I understand. But according to this passage, one day, that will no longer be the case. The idea that you and I will see Jesus' face makes us ask at least this question. Is there any part of himself that he will withhold from us? We got a river, we got a tree, we have a face. And I wanna just conclude tonight by answering these questions, reminding you of where hope and joy is to be found. Is there anything that you desire that you won't find in him? The answer to that question is a firm no. All of your deepest desires will be satisfied in Jesus fully. To the question, is there anything that you need that you will not find in him? The answer is a huge no. Everything you could ever need, you will find in Jesus. The answer to the question, is there any wound in your heart that he cannot heal? The answer is no. The great physician can handle any wound. He can soften any scar. To the question, is there any part of himself that he will withhold from us? The answer is, is, is no. None. Our Worst case scenario as God's people, worst case scenario, ultimately, is God having, been made, having made good on every single one of his promises, all of our deepest longings totally fulfilled, everything that we ever need provided for us, always and forever us becoming more and more fully alive, more the us that we're supposed to be further up and further in. Every wound of our heart being healed, every scar tissue being softened, every pleasure that you've ever wanted being provided, every comfort that you've ever needed, you're receiving. And further, receiving and knowing the fullness of Jesus himself. That's what's coming for you. And the hope of this season in particular, the Advent season, is that of the things I just told you that is coming our way, a degree of those same things are available to you and I in the here and now. See, Jesus came as a humble baby in Bethlehem, and he will return again to finish things set things right fully and finally, but he also comes, present tense, to offer us a degree of these blessings that I have described tonight. His spirit lives inside of you, 
giving you his very presence, his life-giving presence, at least to some degree today. This abundant life that Jesus came to give is to be lived for you and I to a degree today. This idea of every need being provided, it's one of the things he's promised to do for us. Because the ultimate need you need is you need him. And he says, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. And that's true for you today. This idea that one day we will know him fully and finally. Well, we wait for that full and final day. But the scriptures teach us that he gives us himself to a degree today. When we gather together in his presence to sing, when we eat this bread and this wine. And the result of these promises being true for us today is that you and I have a chance to have a real living sense of joy. You know, it's so easy to forget, I think, the joy of knowing Jesus. There is such joy in knowing Jesus and belonging to him. You know, the whole thing that this text is trying to convince us of, the whole scriptures is trying to convince us of this simple thing. It's the last thing I'll say. It's the main thing I want you to hear tonight. And it's Christ is all. Christ is all. In Christ, we have all. He is ours. And there's really nothing else. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the hope of this future day when all things will be made and right, when all things will be restored and redeemed to even a higher sense of beauty and joy and glory than they were before, Lord, I pray that this future reality would begin to give us deep hope and deep joy, Lord, today. Lord, I pray that the knowledge of your coming and you're coming again would remind us that you come in the present tense, Lord, to meet us, to offer us joy and life and peace. So I pray that these things would fill our hearts in these days and in the days to come, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.